Two other quick announcements. Uh, I've been saying this every week. We'll be saying this all through the fall. It's so crucial that you get involved in a community this week. This week, get involved in a community. Here at Neighbors, we believe that every single person who comes into your life, the good, the bad, the beautiful, and the ugly, friend or foe, whoever comes into your life, every human is given to you as a gift. God wants other humans to shape your soul, and you are given to every other human that you come into contact with as a gift. And nowhere is this more true than in Jesus' church, where we are given to each other as gifts one unto another. And I do see within the modern church this almost desperation with God's people. I want to find my purpose. I want to know what God's plan is. And I promise you, you cannot know God's purpose or God's plan apart from God's people. That was a lot of peas in one sentence. The only way that you're truly going to be shaped into who you fully are is in the midst of a tight-knit community of other selves that are being shaped by you and they're shaping you. There's no way around it. So please, Neighbors Church, go to sdneighbors.church, click on Communities, fill out the form, That will send an email to us, and we will plug you into a community this fall. All of our groups this week are starting to go through Mark Sayers' Reappearing Church, which is a book that basically talks about and prays for renewal, but not renewal in, like, this space, renewal within our relationships. Little pockets of Christians that are just, the words that are coming to my mind are loving the snot out of each other. (laughs) I don't know why that came to my mind. Just loving each other so fully and completely that we become, and this, this was actually in pre-gathering prayer this morning, we become these pockets of non-anxious presence where we're not ruled by the presidential cycle or the global plague, but we're ruled in our hearts by the Prince of Peace. And that's attractive. And that's what shapes other humans into the goodness that God has called them to. Go to sdneighbors.church. Go to communities. Get signed up. We'll get you into a community this week. So, so important. And then finally... Uh, as well, while you're at sdneighbors.church, be sure to sign up for the weekly or follow us on Instagram. We're trying to put together a baptism for November. We'll probably go down to Spanish Landing or someplace like that. If you're not on the weekly or if you're not following us on, on, on Instagram, you won't know where we are. So it's really important that you're in the loop. So be sure to be getting the weekly every week or following us on Instagram. As well, keep praying. We are looking for a space to gather in. San Diego, so we can stay out here as it starts to cool off. We're thinking about moving over to the amphitheater. But be praying. We're waiting for schools to open up. I'm working with a church right now. There's some really cool stuff going on with this church in South Park that you guys can be praying for. Uh, But in the interim space, we'll be here at Ward Canyon Park, except for that baptism Sunday morning. Everybody on track with that? Are we all good? Matt, can you come on up? So I think most of you know this, but there's a small team that we have that goes through our sermons every single week. And so it's not just one voice that speaks to this community. It's actually multiple voices. We send out a manuscript. That manuscript gets copied, cutted, commented on, pasted, so that there's a a team of voices, men and women, that speak into this community. And we really are committed to plural voice The church being the church for the church to the church, not just one voice. You definitely don't want to be just hearing from my head. That would be a train wreck. (laughs) And so Matt Escobar is on our teaching team, and he's going to be sharing with us this morning. So if you would, would you just uh, welcome Matt? 
I want to pray for you, friend. Okay. Lord, thank you so much for this friend of mine. I just, I, I love this man so much. Such an honor and a gift to have him in my life. And now this morning as he shares with our church and shepherds the church and feeds souls, uh, may he just sense your smile upon him. Lord, all the hard work that goes into preparing, plus being a dad of three kids, plus a full-time job, I just pray today that the treasures would just unfold in his soul and that we would be well-fed. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's welcome Matt again, you guys. Amen. All right. How's everybody doing today? Oh, that's cool. All right, thanks. Um, so before, I have like a super quick story that I just want to share before I jump into this, if you guys don't mind. So I was reminded, it's a funny story. So I was reminded during pre-service prayer, um, Joshua was doing uh, like worship, like leading us in song. And dude, it brought me back to the one time that we actually led worship together. You remember that? <laughs> okay, let me preface this by saying I can't sing at all. Like not at all. So uh, this was about five, six years ago. Um, Joshua and I were serving in youth ministry. Josh might have been there. Some of the peach tribe might have been there. I don't know. But I was, I was slated to preach, and um, I felt the Lord moving and saying this needed to be a prayer night. So it turned into this prayer night. Long story short, uh, Joshua was doing worship. I was up there. We're all praying. Like, she was, like, right here, right, doing his thing, leading worship. Um, and we're praying, and I'm, like, praying from stage, and I'm just going. I was like, all right, Joshua, like, lead us in song. And he was singing, like, uh, I'm no longer a slave. And for whatever reason... I thought it would be a good idea to keep the mic right here instead of just put it down right there. So when, as he was singing, I was singing along with him. And it was absolutely terrible. And um, it was beautiful. Right, right, right. And it, rem it was just funny because it was like a couple days later, I was like, Joshua, did I lead worship with you the other day? Because I did not mean to do that. But anyways, it reminded me of that. So that was my story that I wanted to share. So um, if you guys have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be in verse 16 through 21. So just five verses today. All right. All right. So today, as we continue um, our journey of the gospel of John, I want to emphasize something that Dan briefly touched on last week. Uh, we are not meant to merely observe this book, the Bible, uh, to seek biblical knowledge or gain enough theological truth to win an argument. We, sh we would be missing the point of John's gospel, and in fact, we would actually be missing the point of the entire Bible. Uh, instead, we are to commune with God in relationship and his people to bring glory to God while we are literally being transformed. Can I move this up? I feel super far away from you guys. Okay, cool. There we go. Maybe this is just me reminding myself of this. Um, but in confession, there's really great temptation uh, when preparing a message to gather as much information uh, as possible to wow the people listening, right? Uh, or to present some great theological idea that you all may be impressed with. Or to say a one-liner, that will, that will go viral, and that's so Instagrammable and so tweetable that I'm, I end up on all your pages. Thanks, John. But this is not the purpose of preaching, nor is our approach in being here as on Sunday 
morning or anytime we hear the word to be wowed by a deep thought. Rather, we are aiming as a community to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Now, while being among some of the most intellectual minds and great orators of his time, the Apostle Paul writes one of the most profound statements in his letter to the Corinthians that demonstrates how we, Neighbors Church, should position ourselves as a community following Christ. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Neighbors, this is what we're aiming for as a community. This is your first time here. This is it. We are to be demonstrators of the Spirit's power by realizing our brokenness and proclaiming God's strength in our lives. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you're with us today. God, I pray that uh, as we read your word that you will speak to us. God, allow our hearts to be open to your grace, God, and to your peace and just to your love. Father, I pray... um, over the next four hours as I'm teaching God, that you will just move. We praise your name. Amen. Amen. I'm just kidding, guys. Not four hours. Just kidding. That was like a youth joke. All right. So here's a text for today. Uh, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. What's really actually amazing about this, um, this miracle of Jesus walking on water and his disciples being rescued by him is that the story does not appear in the entirety of John's gospel. As we are currently in the middle of chapter six, we realize actually that this entire chapter is dedicated to unfolding the implications of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Remember Dan taught us about that uh, last week. This miracle gets a whole chapter, but this story about him walking on water gets five verses. This would imply that John has embedded this story in the middle of this chapter to highlight or clarify something about the loaves and the fish. We know from verse 15 that Jesus walked away from the 5,000 that were fed, and, and he again would speak to them throughout the entirety of this chapter. So as we dive into the rest of John over the next couple weeks, couple months, couple years, I don't know how long it's going to take, we will notice that Jesus does not mention this miracle in any discourse, nor do his disciples talk about it. So, this begs the question, who is it for? It's for, his, it's for the disciples, and it's for us. John is showing us that uh, this as he, he's the author that compiled the material in a very, very specific way. Remember, he's a very, very sophisticated author. If we recall, in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus satisfied their hunger with bread and with fish. 
the disciples and the crowd both experienced this miracle together. But more importantly than just providing sustenance is Jesus' very presence. Though this miracle that feeds 5,000 people is the crux of this chapter, his very presence presents a miraculous peace that his followers now should know. And verse 17 describes the state of which his disciples were in. Again, let's recall where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now, it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. It was dark, and they were without Jesus. John writes without any wasted words or imagery. Uh, This theme of darkness, of night, and Jesus not being present is actually a staple in John's gospel. This appears three, maybe four times. And Don Carson uh, notes, the darkness of night and the absence of Jesus are powerfully linked. If we can remember, pre-pandemic, we observed in John chapter 3, a guy by the name of Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night. Now, although Jesus was physically present with Nicodemus, his lack of understanding of Jesus paints a picture of a soul far away from him. And many of us, we may be there. We may not even know who Jesus is, and the idea of him not being with us is actually normal. Maybe the idea of God or of a higher being seems to bring comfort and order into our world, but the idea of Jesus as our Savior seems to be a little bit too personal or a little bit too intimate. If this is you, you're not alone. That was actually Nicodemus. He was a well-studied man in the law. He knew the Bible and seeking a Savior like Jesus but believed that salvation could only come at the resurrection. He looked forward to the future heaven and missed present salvation right in front of him. He believed that salvation was meant solely for the resurrection life, or more commonly known to us and our friends and media and wherever you may hear it as heaven. How many of us Western Americans believe the same thing? Our Western American theology may be this. It may, it may be this. I can do my own thing. I could, I could live how I want. I could do what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what makes me happy, right? That's a staple. That's a staple statement uh, in our culture. But I pray to God when my life gets turbulent. And I'll, and I'll pray to God when I need something. And also I pray, I'm going to pray that I go to heaven when I die, right? So I'm going to live this life. Things are going to happen. I'm going to pray. Hopefully God blesses me. And hopefully at the end of my life, I'll go to heaven. But in the other spaces in my life, I'm going to distance myself. When we approach our relationship with God like this, we miss out on the fact that he is actually present with us in all that we do. For the disciples, the theme of darkness and the absence of Jesus is actually physical. He is physically not with his disciples as they enter the boat and set sail. And unlike Nicodemus, his disciples knew him. I mean, they they were following him. They ate with him, observed him as he taught, and trusted him to leave everything that they had to follow him. Let's continue on verse 18 through 20. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But Jesus said to them, It is I. 
Don't be afraid. This miracle of Jesus is actually recorded in the Gospel of Mark as well. Uh, But in Mark's telling of the story, interestingly, the writer states that the disciples were afraid because they saw a ghost. Whereas in this text, John states that they were frightened as they saw Jesus approaching the boat. John's inserting of Jesus' name lends towards him being less interested in dissecting the the disciples' fear and more interested in portraying their relief from fear. All of us here today can find common ground in our fears. One day we could fear not being accepted or loved. The next day we could fear living in a global pandemic. We fear who the next president will be, which would set our country into a specific trajectory. As parents, we may fear for our kids' future. We fear that we are not parenting well, that we aren't patient enough with our kids. As college students, you fear what your future will look like when you graduate. You fear that you are in the wrong major and that will impact how you lived your life as an adult. There are so many layers to our fears. But we, like the disciples, must listen to the words of Jesus to calm our, calm our fears and embrace his presence as he says, It is I. Don't be afraid. The Greek meaning of it is I in this passage is so important to understand. Uh, We could read this, when I initially read this, and think Jesus is walking on water with all all of the heavens roaring behind him and the trumpets and the angels, and he's proclaiming his deity as he says, it is I, don't be afraid, which he, he could have done because it's, it's true. But that's not, that's not what he says here. Instead, the, the Greek actually translates to, it is I. Commonly, if you say what's up to your friend, they're like, who is that? You're like, it's me. It's the same thing. Don Carson again notes, this expression bears no necessary theological baggage. It is a perfectly normal way to say, it is I. If in this present passage, there is any hint of the epiphany of a divine figure, it is not because of the words ego imi are used, that may be it, I don't know, are used, but because in the gospel as a whole, Jesus is the divine figure. For his disciples, they knew who he was. It wasn't just head knowledge that they had about Jesus. They literally lived their everyday lives with him, walked with him, ate meals with him, witnessed and experienced miracles with him. They had mundane moments and mountaintop moments with him. They were with him, which allowed them to know, witness, and experience these things. They had this intimate relationship with Jesus so that when he says, it is I, it's as though he's saying, guys, It's me. I got this. I provided bread for you when you were hungry, and my very presence will calm your fears. I got this. When my son Titus was about, oh, I'm going to cry. Oh, dang. I should never bring my kids up in any of my messages. When my son Titus was about two years old, he would have these crazy night terrors. Um, He would wake up in this desperate panic, and he was screaming uh, and crying, and either my wife, Ashley, and I would have to lay with him uh, in his bed to try to console him, or we'd we'd bring him out of his room. And it was truly, truly heart-wrenching to see my little guy in so much distress and realize there was absolutely nothing we can do. 
Uh, we try to give him water, uh, turn on his favorite show, bring out treats, everything. But there was nothing we could do. All we would do is we would sit with him. And we would say, uh, it's us, buddy. It's, it's mommy and daddy. You're going to be okay. And when he, uh, when he finally stopped crying and realized that either Ashley or I were with him, he began to calm down. And there was, there was literally nothing we could do but put our arms around him and tell him, it's okay, buddy. It's all right. Mommy and daddy are here. And he knew who we were. He recognized that for the short time that he has been on this planet, that we have been there to care for him and we would continue to do that. Would we recognize Christ in our lives coming to offer peace with his own presence amidst the biggest storms in our life? Have we established a relationship with a loving Savior that we trust him if the person we don't vote for gets elected? Do we trust Jesus to save even if the policies that we believe will benefit humanity are not put in place? If you are like me and we are like the disciples, we find great relief that Jesus literally walked into the boat despite the disciples' unwarranted fear of Jesus' presence. The beauty of our relationship with Christ as Christ followers is that it is not predicated on our outstanding merit or unwavering devotion to him. We will fail. We will fear. And then Jesus will be there waiting to, waiting to say, it is I. Don't be afraid. If we are like the disciples stricken by fear, we will surely respond like they do in the last verse. And when they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Notice that in this text, John does not care to mention that the storm ceased. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't, but that's not the point. They were willing to take Jesus into the boat and he safely guided them where they were going to their safe haven with Jesus. John Piper uh, notes on this, on this um, section of, uh, of scripture and, and Jesus' response to our need for rescue saying, and now I have done another miracle for you. I have shown you that in the dark, in the storm, I will let nothing separate me from you. I will walk on water to be with you. And when you take me into your boat with joy, we will arrive at our desired haven. So whether the story is about being rescued from hunger by making bread or being rescued from the wind by walking wa on water, the point is, I don't just give bread. I am bread. I don't just make the wind stop. I get into the boat. I believe that John's point in placing this story in the middle of the bread of life discourse is for us to know that Jesus himself will come to us. He will come to us in our doubts. He will come to us in our fears, our lack of understanding. He will come to literally save us. And this should bring us hope. For followers of Christ, we're on this journey to realize the depth and the breadth, breadth of his love for us. If you don't consider yourself a follower of Christ, maybe this idea of Jesus' presence being comfort is foreign. 
Nevertheless, it is available to all, to the skeptics, to the outcast, to the faithful followers. Jesus is walking towards you saying, it is I. And we have the opportunity to let him into our boat to actually save us. This passage of scripture gives us great imagery into Jesus's unconditional love for us. The stepping into the boat to calm the disciples' fear is actually a bleak precursor to him sacrificing himself on the cross for us. He stepped into the boat to reassure them that he will be there for them no matter the chaos surrounding. He stepped on the cross with our sins, our insecurities, our fear to assure us of eternity with a loving Savior. It is at the cross our sins are forgiven. It is at the cross where our fears are cared for. It's at the cross that we are eternally saved. The cross represents Jesus' final way of showing us. It is I. Don't be afraid as he leads us into our safe haven. Let's come to uh, communion with this in mind. I'm going to invite um, Shua up. And uh, I just want to kind of calm our hearts and meditate on this passage. I want us to close our eyes and just imagine that we are on our boat and it's turbulent and it's rocky and we're sitting there with our fears and we see Jesus coming to us and we have this opportunity to let him on the boat And we do. And our fears have subsided. Our anxiety has ceased. Because we are standing face to face with a loving Savior. Who will meet us where we're at. And that his very presence will bring us joy, will bring us hope, will bring us restorative peace. So Father, today I pray that your spirit will move in our hearts. God, that your presence will be ever so close, God, when we feel far away. God, when we feel frustrated, when we're doubting, when we don't believe in you. God, that you're there with us in our boat saying it's okay, don't be afraid. God, I pray that when we have mountaintop moments and we experience your miracles, that we realize that it's you. They're with us. And Father, we're grateful. And we thank you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. And we're going to head into a time of communion. You guys, uh, Joshua's going to lead us in, in some worship and um, Dan has um, the bread and wine, which is grape juice. Um, so you guys can you guys can come up, and then I'll lead us into a meditation, and then Dan will close us out. <laughs>